Hi everyone and welcome to the Day Coaching Podcast with me, Alessia Pacha. I have got my tactics perpetrator to use um, series still going on, but I wanted to add this, this one in as well. So this is just basically a little bit about my story. Um, I did an episode a while ago on part of my story, but I just wanted to kind of touch a little bit more on it, I think. And just, I think when, when, when women hear other women's stories, it can really make them feel like they're not alone. And also it can, it can switch on that light bulb that can make somebody go, oh my God, yeah, he's done that to me. Or, oh my God, yeah, that's happened too. Or they've said that as well. And it almost makes you realise things. And also it shows you that no matter what, you can get out of these situations. You can do it. You can have that strength. When you feel at your lowest, you can find the ability to get out. So I just felt really cool to do this episode today. And I feel like... I want women to listen to this and go, yeah, I can do it too. And I want women to go, yeah, I have the ability to manage the situation I'm in. And when I'm ready, I can leave. Because everybody's story is different. Everybody's experience is different. And everybody's situation is different. So if somebody told me that, I would need to leave going back, let's say, five years, I would have said no, because I wasn't in the right space. I wasn't in the right mindset and at a time where I felt ready. But my time came and that's when things really shifted. So there's also a real element of not putting pressure on people to leave or to end things, because that can put them in more of an unsafe situation than if they're ready to go. Now, we can help support and encourage, but not put guilt on them or make them feel like they have to leave. And I know that might seem quite strange to people on the outside, where you're looking in and thinking, but but like they need to get out of this and I completely hear that. They can be so trauma bonded with their perpetrator that if they're made to leave, they will just go straight back. And that is part of that trauma bond. And you know, you can hear this sometimes when people get, let's say, kidnapped. I can't remember what it's called, but people get kidnapped and then they end up staying with their kidnapper for years and years and years. And then they create such a bond with them that when they're then found, they can either be in love with their kidnapper or they will justify and stick up for them and they'll want to stay with them. And again, that is a trauma bond that has been created with that person. And it can be really difficult to understand that if you're looking in from the outside because it's just like, what? I don't get it. But it's a real powerful thing that is created between a perpetrator and a victim where you almost are made to feel that you need that person. And without that person, you're nothing. Without that person, you can't survive. And that's why you end up staying with them for so long. 
because that trauma bond is so strong and they control you in so many ways that you never feel that you need to step out of that bubble because that bubble feels safe. But anyway, that's for a whole other podcast episode. I've kind of gone on a tangent there. Okay. So I've been through two abusive relationships. And what shocks me is people's reactions to that. They're like, oh, right. So what, what do you do then to attract these people? Or what do you do to get yourself in these situations? And I want that narrative to change. That is just not something you tell a person when they have had abusive relationships. You do not put that onto them. Why is it their fault, firstly? Because <laughs> that's how it feels and that's how I felt. I recognise that there are certain patterns and there are certain cycles and there are certain reasons why women get into abusive relationships. Completely get that. Some of it is because you want to be loved. Some of it is because the love bombing is so strong that you get sucked in and before you know it, you're in it. Some of it is that you're a people pleaser. Some of it is that you want to fix people. Some, some reason could be that you're an empath. But you know what? That doesn't mean that you then are a person that, because you fit that box of that norm, shall I say, that doesn't then mean that, oh, you know what, well, that's why she keeps getting into them, is because she's doing this or she's doing that. No. Why don't we reverse that and go, right, what healing needs to happen for women or what knowledge and power needs to be given to women so that they recognise their worth, so that they recognise the red flags more than they feel like they want to fix someone or more than the love bombing, like the effects of the love bombing gives them. What more do we need to give women rather than what do women need to do to change? Because that's something that really, really bothers me. It's quite a good quote there, isn't it? What do you, what do women, what did I say? See, I don't know what I said now. <laughs> so as you can see, I'm quite passionate about this. Like women don't need to change. It's what do we need to give women to support them in this and to recognize that they truly deserve more. So yeah, there we go. So I was in two abusive relationships. So my first abusive relationship, I was 19. And at that time, I definitely felt like I'd had my first love. And that relationship was really good. Like he was a brilliant person, such a good guy. Now, the way it ended wasn't great. And I think towards the end of the relationship, it wasn't great because he he basically, he chose God and his friends who were very, very, very religious um, over the relationship. They were encouraging him not to be with me, basically. And I think, okay, whatever. I got over it. Um, so, so that's the reason why that ended. But apart from that, it was a really good relationship. Now, the, after that, I had like, you know, probably, I don't know, two or three relationships, sorry, it's just like not even real relationships, I guess, you know, you're just kind of seeing the person, and they were fine, you know, nothing major with that, 
But then I got into this relationship when I was 19 with somebody who I did not know the history of this person. And nobody told me (laughs) the history of this person, even though they knew. It was that they were so afraid to tell me because of the consequence that might be brought onto them from that, from this perpetrator. That's how much control he had over the community of people that that knew him. So he was a bouncer on at this pub and I'd go there every Friday night. We'd always have such a good laugh, me and my friends. It was just brilliant, really, really, really good. And it was at that time where you could go into a place and just you knew everybody and I, oh my God, I loved it. And yeah, it was, it was really, really good. And I went there and he was there. And I, and I remember I hadn't seen him before. He was charming. He was like really smiley, you know, all the things. And I was actually being encouraged to get to know him. And I thought, oh God, you know, everyone's talking really nicely about this person. Okay. Anyway, we then started, um, we started a relationship. From the first moment that this happened, I should have ran as fast as I could possibly have ran, but I didn't because I had no knowledge and understanding of domestic abuse. So something that people need to recognize is back then, so I'm 38 now, so I was 19 then. Back then, domestic abuse was not a word I'd ever heard. I never heard that phrase before. I never heard about how relationships should be. I never heard about how to keep yourself safe, apart from putting your hand over your drink. Actually, no, that was not till a lot later, you know, when the whole spiking situation started really badly. But it it was never like, I guess the thing that we were told was never go out on your own, never walk around on your own as a girl. But that was it. Like, you just were not taught about relationships at all. So I think I was so probably in shock and so fearful and also I need to recognize I am somebody that wants to help people as well I am a fixer and I think I very much get drawn into people's stories so I didn't actually know his story though at that point so I can't really say that yet so what happened was now, remember, I have complex PTSD from this relationship, so I do get very confused on what 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 happened first, etc. But there's quite a few things, quite a few incidences that I can remember, but quite a few that I can't. So I remember one occasion, we were all out, and I think this was the first thing that happened, I'm sure it was. We were all out, and I wasn't allowed to be away from him, but I didn't recognise that yet I recognize that as something that he just wanted to be around me all the time because he really liked me (laughs) that's what I saw it as and I thought oh bless him (laughs) anyway we were out and I remember one of um my friends coming up to me who was a bloke as I had quite a, a few male friends 
And he came up to me and he was like, oh my God, Alessia, and he picked me up and he swirled me around. Because that was just standard. Like, there was nothing wrong with that. Anyway, next thing I know, my arm was squeezed and I was told we had to leave. We left, his friends followed. And I remember walking along a road and I remember his best friend saying to him, don't take it out on her, take it out on me, hit me. Now, this person is a person that when this relationship ended, he told certain people that the reason why the relationship was as it was and the reason why I was stalked, well, not that he ever mentioned it was stalking, but the reason that it was happening was because apparently I wanted to marry this this person. I categorically never, ever wanted to marry this person. I never even loved this person. But apparently that was the reason. So apparently that's justifiable. Okay, so I just needed to nip that one in. (laughs) Anyway, next thing I know is, you know, you get those massive double bins outside of the shops, like, you know, industrial bins. Is he picked one up and he threw it in my direction. Uh, And it went across like quite a distance, really. And that's when I was like, what is going on? Like, I'd never seen this part of him before. And yeah, his best friend just kept saying, hit me, hit me, don't take it out on her. And I think I was in shock because I just carried on walking with them. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't, don't know what to do. I then remember his best friend taking him off, I think. And then I can't remember what else happened after that. So that was the first thing. Another thing he did was at a petrol station. And this is why I have a massive, massive, massive issue with petrol stations. And actually, it's only recently that I've been able to go to petrol stations on my own. But now and again, I feel feel like I can't cope. So I'll have to go with somebody or I avoid it altogether. So it's still something I'm working on. Now, I can't remember fully what happened the only flashback I flashback I have is that he would make me go and pick him up and stuff like that and drive him around and everything. And I remember I had to go and pick him up from work. And he came out, honestly, now I look back and think, oh my God, it makes me feel sick. It was a hot day and he worked in odd people's home for a very, very short period of time. It's nothing, you could never, ever hold a job down. He came out and he had his whole thing unbuttoned. So his chest was out and he was like really overemphasizing the fact he was hot and it was just making me feel really like <laughs> really unwell I was just like oh my god anyway picked him up and I remember driving to the petrol station and that was actually as well if I remember rightly my birthday I think so this is the problem is I do merge things because I'm because the trauma of it all is so intense and I remember him going into the petrol station And he bought me, if I'm right, I think it was munchies, a pack of munchies for my birthday and just threw it at me and went, yeah, happy birthday. But something else happened before that at the petrol station. I don't know what it was, but that's what has had a massive effect on me with petrol station. Another thing that he did was, um, I remember being at a, so we were going, me and my friends were going out and he picked me up because again, I wasn't allowed to go out on my own. 
And I remember I had this yellow tank top on and this black denim skirt and I felt really good. And I remember walking down the stairs and I curled my hair, walking down, like really excited, like, oh, he's going to love how I'm dressed. And I remember walking down to him and looking at him like, yeah, what do you think? And he literally looked me up and down and went, you look like a slag. And I just, my heart, like just, I just remember like feeling almost like I was punched, like, like that whole, <gasps> and I thought, right, okay. We went out, he drove, and I wasn't allowed to go and see my friend until he told me I was allowed to. So I remember being sat there in this pub with him and his best friend both getting drunk, and I was just sat there waiting to be given permission to go and see my friend. And I cannot tell you how long I was there for. It was, it was hours. And my friend was like, we're out, where are you? Come on, where are you? And, you know, I look back and I think, gee, but the fear in me was so apparent it just it took over me and then eventually he said yeah okay we'll go so obviously you know he had to come with me with his best mate they were absolutely off their trolleys got there and I was with her and I just you know she was like where are you and I and I also hadn't drunk any alcohol so I was completely sober and everyone else was drunk because it was quite late then and then I remember him having huge go at me that evening and again I don't know why then he took my he took my elbow the one that so I I broke my arm when I was seven and he took that so he put his um fingers pressed really really hard on on the elbow part which is where where I had a lot of nerve damage and he took me to his car and he was drunk mind took me to his car he had this horrible gold Mercedes it was disgusting took me to his car drove me drunk to his house and then I remember him saying wait here until I tell you you're allowed to come into my house and he went into his house and then he it was pitch black in his house and then he then he texted me he said you can come in now and I went in and I just remember it all being so pitch black Next thing I know, so his his mum and stepdad were upstairs to sleep, by the way, when this was all happening. When I walked into the living room, next thing I know is there was whispering. So he was whispering things. And then he started throwing things at me. And I just remember thinking, oh my God. And I ran, rather than going to the front door, I ran through the kitchen and I locked myself in their downstairs toilet that was att- like um, attached to the kitchen. I remember just locking myself in there. And I remember looking up at like a the window, which was like a you know like you get on bathrooms where they're then you can't see clearly through them. There's like a I can't remember what you call them, but anyway, it was like that. And all I remember is the moonlight was shining through, and I remember just looking at that moonlight, thinking it's going to be alright. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And the next thing, I, and he was shouting as well. Then at this point, the next thing, I, everything got quieter. His mum and stepdad never came downstairs, by the way. And I got out, and they would have heard it, and I got out of there, and I remember crawling along the kitchen floor, and then when I got to the living room doorway, I took my shoes off at that point, I legged it out of that house, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and then when I got down his road, there's then like a long road, and I remember running and running and running, like not knowing what the hell was going to happen to me next thinking hopefully he wasn't going to chase me but I'd have to run all the way home 
And the next thing I know is his car is driving next to me really slowly. Well, matching my running, which wasn't that fast. And then the window went down and then he just went, hey, teddy bear. And it was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was like a horror film. This is how he was. He was like a horror film. He would be absolutely off his head, like violent and and horrific and awful. And then he'd switch and then he'd become this like nice person. Not nice, but you know what I mean? Like this like other character. And I just remember thinking, what? I was like, what? He went, come on, teddy bear, let me drive you home. What's wrong? And that's how he spoke to me. And I think I was so in shock again and so messed up in the head from from the way he would switch like that that I got in the car and he drove me home. Sometimes he would keep my phone. I remember one time we went to a pub and this pub was a local pub to him and he didn't buy me a drink, nothing. And I remember just being sat there and he had a go at me for something. And the next thing I know is his beer's on me. <laughs> and everyone was watching. And I remember feeling so humiliated. Um, he also did this at another pub. There were so many things he did that truly made me feel like I didn't know who I was anymore and I didn't know reality anymore and I didn't know what life was like before him. I forgot what it was. I hid this from everyone, by the way. Um, yeah, loads of things happen. You know, I remember one time he compared me to everybody. So Love Island, I think had only just started then, I think, but it was like a celebrity one, if I'm right, something like that. But anyway, all these celebs were looking really right you know, typical in bikinis. And he compared me to every single one of those women. And he said to me, why don't you tan like them? Because when you tan, you look like shit. And he would just really focus on everything that I had a complex about. And he completely and utterly broke my confidence and self-esteem in so many ways. So, you know, that was that relationship. And it was very aggressive, very violent. Um... And then I went to Italy, I went home for three weeks, and I remember remembering, sat on that beach thinking, this is what freedom feels like. And that's when it clicked, and I thought, what, I need to get out of this, I don't, I don't want him to be anywhere near me. And at that time as well, my, my granddad was really, really ill, he had cancer. And I remember that really affected me, because he was like another dad to me, like, I was so close to him. So, I came back, I even remember what I wore, I wore this layered Spanishy style skirt and this um, choker and this red and black top. And I remember I felt really good <laughs> uh, for the first time in a very long time. And I stood there outside my house and I refused to get in his car. And I said to him, I don't want to be with you anymore. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, my granddad's really ill with cancer and I just want to focus on him. And I know that sounds awful because people might think, oh, you used him as a reason. But you need to understand that the consequences of of breaking up with him was so huge that I had to just try and use everything I possibly could to support my reasoning, even though it wasn't a reason. Um, and I remember him saying to me, well, I hope your granddad fucking dies, and drove off. 
And then I was just like in relief. I was like, oh my God, thank God. Oh my God, thank God. Um, and I'm sure as well, I've already spoken about the mobile phone shop situation on here. If not, I'll talk about that another time. But yes, sorry, just things are coming back to me. Loads of things happened. Anyway, that's how it ended. And I then thought, great, that's it. I'm done. I've done it. I'm over. Perfect. My life can begin. But again, something that you're never told is when you end a relationship with a perpetrator, sometimes that can be the most unsafe time and the time when they really ramp it up. And he then proceeded to stalk me and harass me for nearly four years, three and a half to four years. And in that time, he tried to kidnap me in his car. He sent me um, a dead a dead um, funeral wreath with a picture of me in it and saying RIP. He would message me and contact me 50 plus times a day. And I'm not even exaggerating that. That's literally, honestly, it probably was even more than that. And he'd send me riddles on how he was going to kill me. He would send me messages on what I was wearing that day, on what time I'd left, where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. Um, and it came to one point as well on my 21st birthday. So I was with him for seven months. So just so you get an idea of how long I'd been already been stalked by him. So my 21st birthday, so what, it'd been over a year of him stalking me already. And I hadn't actually heard from him. I think this was the first time he had a bit of a gap in his stalking. And I think it was like three weeks or something. But to me, that was like incredible because it was obviously every day. And from what I understand now, that's because he had a new supply. This new supply obviously didn't work out. So then he was back on it with me. And it was, yeah, literally about three weeks, I think. Maybe, maybe even a month. And my 21st birthday, I'd already changed my phone. God knows how many times my phone number. So I kept doing all those things. But he kept finding it out. And I still don't know to this day and age who was giving him my number. Because I was only giving my number to people I trusted. Um, but what I know is that he would really kind of put the fear in people and manipulate people to, to do things. So, you know, I don't hate whoever it was. Um, and then I remember I was at my house with a few of my friends and I'd forgotten about him. (laughs) And it was the first time I was, I, was it the first time I was going to go out? No, no, it wasn't the first time I was going to go out, out. I think it was just like the first time with all my friends, like properly, properly going out, out. And I remember we were in the in my front room in my parents' house, and we were all getting together, getting ready. It was all like really good. Next thing I know is my phone goes off. Now, normally when it's a, a private number, I would never answer it because it would always be him. But because I was in like the mode of my birthday and I hadn't heard from him for a while, I answered it. The next thing I know is he was singing happy birthday down the phone. And then he went, Remember, it's me. And I just thought, oh my God. And I remember just like freezing and feeling sick and going oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and one of my friends took the phone (laughs) and I love her she like had to go at him she had no fear of him at all and I was like I don't think I can go out and everyone's like no come on we've got to go out don't worry about it and we went for a meal and then we went out and you know everyone was there and it was just so so nice to be around everybody that I loved and cared for And next thing I know 
is people started surrounding me in a circle and bouncers started coming around as well. And I was like, what? And then the music stopped. And I remember hearing like some screams and I turned around and he was fighting basically people. And what my friends didn't tell me is that they'd actually saw him watching me from quite a while. And one of my friends went to the bouncers and told them, you need to stand by us because that guy's been stalking her. And I remember I had, I think it was two by, by, by us. And then my friends around me in a circle, so I didn't spot him. And then, yeah, then that's what he was doing. And then it was with the bouncers and he was like punching them and stamping on their heads. And he, he, he is an animal when he's on one. He's an animal. Next thing I know is I was being taken out of the place. So he, he got taken out. The police were then called. And then I was safe enough to leave. And I remember as I was leaving, there were police officers surrounding him in a circle. And he was going around huffing and puffing, like breathing really erratically within the circle, going round and round and round. And I just looked at him thinking, oh my God. And then I went home. And it, you know, stalking continued for years and years and years and years. And the one where he tried to take me in his car was another really scary occasion because I got into a new relationship and this relationship was a really lovely relationship. It was a really good person and he really understood and really tried to look after me. And I was in my car and it was the first time I was driving to go and see this guy because it was really quite early on in our relationship, like very early on actually. And and I thought, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And it was night time. And I scanned the road, road up and down and I thought, okay, I can't see any cars that I don't recognise. So what he would do is he would either hire a car to stalk me with or he would borrow friends and families. And I couldn't, like, because it's quite dark and it's a long road with trees around. So I couldn't really see properly, but I just felt like, you know, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. Got in my car I remember saying to myself, you're going to be absolutely fine because you're going to drive straight there. So I got in the car and as I was about to pull out, a car went past me. And then I drove off. At the bottom of the road, this car had stopped for quite a while. And I was there behind the car thinking, hello, hello. And on the back, I remember it saying, kids on board. And I just didn't think it was him. And I was thinking, why are you not moving? Like, come on. Like a horror film, next thing I know is the interior light went on and all I saw were his eyes in the mirror. And I remember just sat there seeing his eyes and I sat there thinking, I'm going to die. He got out of the car and he waved the car behind me to go on. I was gripping onto my steering wheel, looking ahead in like a state of shock, a state of fear, but also in a robotic state where whatever he said, I would do because I was so afraid. He tapped on the window and I wound it down because kids in those days, we didn't have electric, honey. (laughs) I wound it down and I looked at him and he went, follow me. When I pull over, you're going to pull over behind me, okay? Okay. 
and I just literally nodded and I did it and people are going to go what but you cannot begin to describe to people that sense of fear that that way the way they control you and manipulate you is at such an intense level you can't describe it to anybody pulled over behind him got out of my car and he had like a yeah he had this car anyway I sat in it and then he said oh I've got this new job I've got all this new money I'm earning all this money blah 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 went on and on about how amazing he was and I remember being really really quiet and then I said okay and then I went to get out and he tried to pull my arm back and my arm I had um like a support on it because sometimes when the weather changes from that injury I had when I was younger it can really flare up so I remember I had a support thing on my wrist and I remember him like squeezing my arm back and I tried to get out and he wouldn't let me go and I was trying to pull and he was pulling me in and I remember this these people walking past and I'm sure um, it was I'm sure that there was a bike and there was an old man and he asked if I was okay and then he let go and then I literally just said thank you and I just went straight in my car and then I went I had the biggest panic attack. I just was absolutely in pieces. And yeah, he 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 was something else. Um for those asking, I did get the police involved. At that time stalking was not seen as a crime, but that they would try and get him for the threats to kill. Um all they did was eventually they went there, gave him a warning. They told me that their army's bigger than his. Just really arrogant, the officer. Um, and never heard anything since. Um, <laughs> so the police really, really let me down. And then I remember working in my old job and working with a police officer. And we went into this home because of the um, level of aggression. I had to have the officer work with me on this case. And I was working in the home and I remember looking up and there was a picture of that perpetrator ex of mine with the dad that I was working with. And I remember wanting to just run. <laughs> um, and I remember coming out of that home and that officer saying, you know, you okay? And I said, no. And I explained and he said, oh my God. And I went, what? And he goes, you're that girl. And I was like, what girl? And he said, I know your case. I went, what? And he went, yeah, we actually had to try and learn how to improve our services because of your case. Are you? And I literally was like, what? Are you joking? He went, no. Oh, my God. So no one could be asked to come and talk to me and support me and get this person prosecuted or arrested or nothing. They did none of that. But no worries, have me as a case to kind of reflect on. All good. It really, really infuriated me. It made me feel really let down even more so. It was like going over again. The last few times I've seen him, um, I've heard that he isn't, he wasn't in the area. And then I heard that he was. 
and I know that he one time I was uh, working walking with my eldest who's now 11 outside Sainsbury's and he was in the pram and he spat right by the pram um that was one time I'd seen him since and I've seen him twice in the car um so that's that relationship and that's you know that that's not all of it a lot of it I have um blanked out um because of how traumatic it was I did try EMDR which is the eye movement something therapy something something I don't know um but it didn't it didn't it didn't help really to be honest it just wasn't it just wasn't right for me and the person that was doing it did say to me he was like your trauma is so complex and so ingrained you're gonna need a lot of um therapy (laughs) thanks love (laughs) um from that I that's when I started self-harming really badly um and that's when I developed clinical depression and I don't think they said acute acute I don't know anxiety disorder and I had a mental health social worker but I literally saw her once and then I saw a psychotherapist or something like that and that's when he said you have complex PTSD um clinical depression and then there's something something anxiety disorder and basically these are the meds you're going to go on see you later and that was it and it was like a special hospital for uh, mental health but it wasn't a uh, one where you stay in it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't sectioned or anything it was just one for those that were at risk of harm to themselves um and yeah that was it that's literally what I had then I had two years counseling from somebody and then the NHS scrapped that you know brilliant thank you and um, then put CBT in place which is doesn't work at all for me my needs were far too complex for it and I did it three times in the end they 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 realized that I was like I keep telling you this is not going to work and yeah it didn't but that two-year counseling person I had that really really helped but I kept so much in from him um I barely told him anything really so you know I've had to do a lot of work on myself and I just really wanted to share that story with you all because I think it's powerful and I think it's powerful in the sense of it shows you that you can overcome things. You don't ever get over them. You learn to live with them. You learn to work through it and learn to accept that that's part of your story and that you can grow from that in a huge way. So that is, yeah, that's that's that story. And then my second abusive relationship is going to be something I'll do on another podcast. I was, I'm going to be here for years <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to emotionally bombard you all. You know, it's, it's intense, isn't it? So I very much healed myself from that and I'm still healing myself from that. It's not something that you get over. Like I said, it's just something you learn to accept and, and have there with you as part of your journey through life and I think I've done so much work on my mindset and on my confidence and on my 
ability to build that resilience that that's why I'm here today telling the tale that's why I'm here today being able to help other women in similar situations because my story is something that I'm going to I'm using to help others so turning my pain into power and I want to encourage you all to recognize that the pain you're in turn it into power make it something that makes you stronger make it something that makes you powerful and makes you resilient and badass confident all the things because you know you can be every single one of them you can be unapologetically you again and you can live without that fear you can live with freedom and safety and security and self-love you can do it so I hope this has recognized made you recognize that you can do it and made you recognize that no matter what our stories are we can be strong again and you know what during that whole time during your whole time you can be flipping strong it's just that there's moments where you feel lost where you do feel broken where you do feel like oh my god I'm stuck but then recognize you had the strength to move on recognize you had the strength to maybe have a day where you did answer back or maybe you had the strength to say no or maybe you had the strength to set a boundary on that specific day yes you might feel you've gone back again but just know that that strength's in you because you have kept going so don't ever put yourself down for that so I'm sending all the love to all of you and if you need me head over to my Instagram, the link to that is in my, in my show notes, and just know that you don't have to suffer alone. Take care, beautiful.